Hello indeed, welcome to this yet another TES podcast where we muse and ruminate on some of the biggest issues facing the world of education. My name is Richard Vaughan and in this episode I will be trying to tackle the ever controversial subject of religion and our schools. I caught up with both sides of the debate to hear whether faith schools lead to greater social cohesion or if indeed they fuel segregation in our society. I ask if their admissions should, should enable them to select children only from a certain faith. And I tried to get to the bottom of what religious education actually looks like in the 21st century. First up on my own pilgrimage down this often fraught but well-trodden path was Reverend Jan Ainsworth, the Church of England's Chief Education Officer, which has the largest share of faith schools in the country. She described the CV schools as being a gift from the church to the state, educating children across the social spectrum. First of all, these schools were put up by the Church of England, mm -hmm. uh, yeah, a long time ago, and in some cases there have been significant state money put into them and renovations, and over time the state has taken on more and more of the funding. Yeah. But let's not be, um, uh, let's be clear about this, they, the title deeds are held by the church, and if the state wanted to buy them back off the church, it would cost an enormous amount of money. Mm. So. Their origins lie in a gift from the church to the nation, um, very explicitly from the Church of England to the whole nation, because the original impetus was not to build schools to turn out, you know, just for children from Church of England families, but to build schools to serve the poor, whoever mm -hmm. they were. Right, skip forward 200 years. Yeah. Now the Church of England schools, 4,700 of them, are woven into the state system mm -hmm. um, over, over a period, over almost all of that period. Um, so it is very much part of the system. It is unique. You don't find it in other countries. No. Um, very often you'll find, you know, if particular faith groups want to set up schools, they have to do outside the state system. That's not how it is here. So it's something that the church offered to the country. It's something that we still offer to the country mm -hmm. and still put money in. Yes, it's a much smaller proportion for the buildings element of it, but the church does provide a whole resource network and structure which it pays for itself. Mm. Uh, I mean, we could, we'd quantify that at about 20 million a year, which, yes, is a drop in the ocean compared to how the whole system costs, but it isn't insignificant. The second strand of that is that actually these are schools for people of this country who pay their taxes. I yeah. pay my taxes. So if I want a schooling system which reflects my belief, I'm very happy that my taxes are going to support that. So the whole bit about the state supporting churches and faith in building schools and supporting schools as somehow totally separate from the people of this country who pay their taxes is a nonsense. So there are two good reasons why it is actually perfectly okay for public monies to go to support a system where faith groups have a particular interest and role in providing that education. Back to admissions, <laughs> because of the way we started, Church of England schools do have a much more open approach to both what they're trying to achieve through their schools and therefore who might benefit from it. And we are distinct from our other colleagues here. We're distinct from our Catholic colleagues and our Jewish colleagues and Muslim colleagues in that, yes, we have an interest in enabling all the children that go to our schools to engage with the Christian faith and to have some experience of that, particularly as it's expressed in the Anglican Church. But we also have a role in supporting all children in their own faith development, wherever that takes them. The key thing would be, we'd say, 
faith is important. It's important in the way it's shaped our country in the past and continues to in the future. It's globally hugely significant. It's a way of life for so many millions of people that actually that's part of the educational entitlement of children. Where we find that there is massive pressure on places in Church of England schools, then you get difficult decisions for governors mm. to make. And for some governing bodies, they actually feel quite strongly that because of the investment the church has put into this, they ought to privilege children who come from Christian backgrounds. There are other oversubscribed Church of England schools that take the opposite view and would say, right, well, we'll cap the Christian places at so and such and such a proportion because actually we want children from a whole range of backgrounds to be able to benefit from this. The decision rests with the governing body of the school. Now, our diocesan boards will give them advice, and most diocesan boards of education will say that admissions policies in Church of England schools should be such that you bring in a pupil population that's both from church families and from the local community and other faith families. That's the advice. But governing bodies, and that's the national advice, because that's our dual purpose. But governing bodies will make the decision according to their local circumstances. And it's, there's nobody can actually tell them to do differently. But if, if, it's, if it is a gift, as you say, from the church, why should it just be a completely open admissions policy, that there be absolutely no selecting on the basis of faith? Yes, I think that's one that, that governing bodies and dioceses do wrestle with. And mm. certainly some of our newer schools, particularly Wave 1 academies and some of the subsequent academies, have said precisely that. This is for this local community. There mm. have been no church places. There, there was a view expressed in one of our um, national church reports, the Deering Report, that church schools did need a core of Christian families to help support the ethos of the school. Um, and I have heard head teachers say we need to keep the applications up from, particularly secondary head teachers, from our um, church stroke Christian families because then it does support the ethos and it's able to maintain it. The practice is really varied across the country. Um, we'd have a difficult job trying to persuade people to drop all faith-based membership, but our faith-based applications, but our advice is to mix and match, mix and match in the proportion that actually suits your local context. What do you make then? I mean, one of the biggest criticisms levelled at the Church of England is when it comes to, I mean, you, you, you talked yourself about um, uh, the core of Christian families, but there is a, a a widespread phenomenon of of parents merely attending church on a Sunday in order to get their kid into into the local Church of England school. I mean, obviously, you've heard this many times before, and that you know skews the intake of the uh, of the school itself because there's generally you know the the, the more aspirational, maybe you call them sharp elbowed middle classes who would do that, spend the time to do that. So therefore, the results at church schools seem to be better than surrounding schools. What's your response to that? Well, the first thing is to say that those better results do not depend on skewed intake because that's across the whole field and that includes voluntary controlled schools where there aren't any faith-based applications and from the schools that have none. So you can't say the uplift in results is entirely due to cherry-picking certain kinds of parents. I know that's what I would love to say, but it simply isn't borne out by the facts. Um, 
I think that phenomenon, I mean, clearly it's, it's something that is not what we would recommend. I mean, we don't recommend that people lie and cheat to get their way into Church of England schools. That's it keeps the attendance totally, figures up as well, though, doesn't it? It's totally at odds with the, the ethos we're trying to promote. There is an issue that says, all right, so local con congregation, local um, Christian congregation, you've had these families with you for some time. Here is an opportunity to see if you can turn what might appear to be a totally cynical approach to you into something that means something, into one that means a real commitment. And in some cases, that, that actually does happen, that as a result of their experience of that Christian community, they then do become more uh, regular members of it. But what we're seeing is, if you like, the faith-based school version of what happens all over the country. Because where schools are deemed to be good schools, where they are attractive to parents, you will find the same manipulation of admissions criteria in different ways with community schools and academies as you're finding in these schools. What happens in community schools is that parents move into the area and so artificially push the prices of the property up. And you've got almost identical impact um, for similar reasons, but using different mechanisms. It two, is not two wrongs don't make a right, though, when it comes to... No, no, it doesn't. No, I'm not justifying it. I'm mm. simply saying this is another version of the same yes. thing that happens in schools across the country. But uh, one Clearly which you have a direct answer, control over, I would say, though. Well, no, because the other phenomenon would simply be... They'd simply shift to the other phenomenon, which is moving into the area, mm. it, if it's an area base. So yeah. the only answer to this is one which every Secretary of State has recognised and that we recognise, which is that all schools offer the kind of um, excellent education and attractive education that parents want. Mm. We are committed to maintaining our stake in the most deprived communities, and those are the ones, of course, that always come off worst because they can't afford to move, can't afford to do things. And that's why we are, when the first wave of academies was set up, which were almost exclusively serving seriously deprived communities we were we vote that we had 45 new secondary schools in that tranche of academies specifically because we wanted to rescue if you like our secondary provision into those areas my next guest is keith porteous wood from the national secular society he suggested that the church of england had become a gatekeeper to good schools forcing parents to attend church when they wouldn't have otherwise done so something he described as scandalous. Talking to various uh, prime ministers and, and secretaries of state over the years, the, remarkably how often they say, and this certainly applied to Gordon Brown, well, we wouldn't have started from here. Right. Uh, and I think that's a fundamental problem, that, that the ideal would be starting with a completely clean sheet and having... Uh, secular schools where everybody was equally welcome um, and uh, there was no question of people having to go to church to get into their local mm. school uh, and with the added benefit that everybody from all communities including those that are uh, often separated from the mainstream are all together in the same school and we all learn together and learn to get on with each other. And that's the ideal. But I don't actually see that, uh, that that's a feasible 
uh, medium-term even ideal in this country, uh, and therefore we've got to work out how, what's the nearest we can get to that. What do you think would be the nearest that we could get to that? Well, I think that we, sh we sh need to look at the main problems and see how we uh, tackle each one. I, I think the main problem with the predominantly Anglican, but to a degree Catholic schools, um, is that they are often uh, employing uh, admission criteria um, that are often in breach uh, of, of what they're permitted to do and uh, result in a uh, the, the church attendance, for example, being given, uh, uh, being required, and a local one we've got is 48 times a year, as a kind of gatekeeper uh, to a public function, which is a publicly funded uh, facility, which is absolutely ridiculous mm. and unacceptable. Uh, so it's uh, that it should become a, an accepted part of middle class life that uh, you have to go to church when you wouldn't otherwise do so mm. just to get your child into the local school, which then becomes a kind of uh, uh, public school on the rates, private school on the rates, if you like, mm. um, is uh, is just absolutely scandalous. Do you think it's do you think the fact, and particularly with uh, free schools being allowed to, to open as, as, as faith-based schools, do you think it leads to greater segregation in society? And, you know, if you look at models like in the US and France, they have a complete separation of church and state, but they're hardly, um, you know, shining examples of, of um, religious acceptance. Uh, well... <clears throat> I, I, I'm surprised that you think that for America, um, but if we just if if, if we slightly sidestep and uh, the, the comparison and take the the issue as um, it, as it relates to this country, mm -hmm. uh, the, the the next arm of my problem um, with religious schools is minority schools, uh, minority faith schools, and I include in that minority denominations. I'm not just looking at uh, minority faith. Mm. So I do include uh, Seventh-day Adventists, where, where, like with some of the minority faiths, another problem is that the children who are in them, the pupils who are in them, are themselves very often segregated from the rest of society. Yeah. And I think that's a problem both for them and for the rest of society. Yeah. Um, and that's a particular issue with Jewish schools and, and, and to a degree um, and, and also Muslim schools and, and Sikh and Hindu. Uh, and I, so this is a further dimension of the problem that, um, that has um, potential um, racial uh, cohesion problems, mm. as, as the proponents of those religions are predominantly, but not exclusively, from uh, minority races yeah. and ethnicity. Um, but but it goes further than that, which is that these are very often separate societies and quite often disadvantaged societies, um, and where and very patriarchal societies, uh, where the children are under huge pressure culturally 
to be separate and you wonder whether they're going to get in some cases with these separate schools to the age of 20 or something before they ever meet and have a sensible conversation with somebody <clears throat> outside their community Absolutely. and that's a terrifying prospect and the complete opposite of education mm. and and i have particular problems um about the teaching of uh creationism in science lessons mm. there are other questions uh, about music and swimming and sex education, which are very troubling. And I don't think, despite the rhetoric, that the government is on top of. Mm. Uh, we were behind the investigations uh, into the redaction of exam papers. Yes. And that was turned out to be uh, one or more Jewish schools um, that were uh, obliterating questions um, relating to either human biology or creationism mm. or both um and i think it a much more important question than the reduction in the exam papers um is is what kind of education is going on in science in these schools Absolutely. and my guess is that in in quite large scales uh, swathes of schools in minority religions and and minority denominations like seventh day adventists my guess is that they simply don't uh, abide by mr go's admirable mantra that there should be no creationism in science lessons mm. i just don't believe it yeah uh, and I think that's something that ought to be looked at very carefully. And it's another problem about having these uh, separate minority faith and denominational schools that, that we're not, we just don't have any handle on that. And I think it's beyond debate in so many schools. And I think that's a betrayal of the children. Yeah. Following Keith's comments, I caught up with a Jewish faith school, the Hasmonean High School in Barnet in North London, to get the views of its head teacher, the Rabbi David Meyer, and hear what he had to say about whether schools such as his lead to greater segregation. Uh, the reality is that the, the entry requirements for or prioritisation for entry into the school um, would be based uh, on, on, on religious practice at the home. It's not just about attendance in a synagogue or, 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 or a weekly practice. Interesting. So, again, following on from there, um, the... Both the you know uh, the, the non-religion uh, groups would say why why should the state um, pay for something like that then why why couldn't parents pay out their own pocket if they so wish that their kids are, are going to be educated in a faith-based school why should we pay for it well I think there's a fundamental question over here which is what is the role of education mm -hmm. and and what is the approach of this country towards freedom of religion yeah. and I think that if we believe that at the core of our society and I genuinely do believe this is the, it's the fact that we believe that everybody has a right to freedom of religion and a right to practice in the day with way that they wish then inherent in that must be that we have a right to educate the children according to the pathways that we choose mm. and uh, in, in as 
as such, th there should be no difference between a parent who chooses to educate their child according to a religious direction or pathway as, of the as according to those that decide that they wish not to. Mm. And given that we all pay taxes on the same level, we are all uh, involved in society in the same way, um, it shouldn't be that if somebody says, well, I would like to, to, to ensure that my child is educated in a certain religious way, then that all of a sudden uh, means that they are opting out uh, of, of, of being supported by the state. Um, there's, there's no reason to suggest that, 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 that one pathway is, 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 less, is, is less valid than another or indeed uh, should not be supported by the state one way or another. Well, what exactly is a religious education? Then? I mean, surely when it comes to education, you're teaching the kids all the same thing. You know, it's maths, it's English, it's, it's the sciences. What, what, what more could you, could you need to get out of it? Well, I, I think that's a fair question, but I think that, that in some ways it goes to, 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 to really question what, what, what is the role of education. And it, it isn't, in my view, um, that it stops at GCSEs and A-levels. I don't mm. think that we should be saying that we assess the success of a school, uh, even though my school happens to be one of the, the top-performing non-selective school in the country for GCSE. Um, but I would not turn around and say, well, that is proof that we are succeeding in our education. The real test of education is, is how our students graduate and indeed how they perform uh, in society when they are 30 years old. And I think that giving students a, a, a religious foundation, it's not the only method of preparing them for the future, but it certainly is a method uh, and ensures an education which is ethical and which is moral uh, and, 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 and gives, if you want, a, a sense of purpose and a sense of direction to the students. And so if you have schools that are educating children in this way, and that is the determination of the parents to do so, um, then it would be that, that, that that kind of a message is actually inculcated within the whole school. And the whole direction of the school, and indeed the ethos of the school, um, should actually seep through into everything that they are doing uh, and, and into, in, into the directions that we are giving them for their long-term success. Well, you mentioned um, society and, and how your alumni will go on and work and function in society. But there is an argument that if you're teaching all kids who are the same in the same place in the same way, then once they leave school, they'll just carry on doing the same thing. They'll, they, you know, they'll, they'll work with their own community, which would be either Jewish, Muslim or, or, or to a lesser extent, uh, a Christian. Um, and in fact, they won't integrate at all. Uh, to be frank, it's an argument that I don't think has any validity whatsoever. Um, we have had faith schools in this country for many, many years, mm. and all you need to do is, is look in the workplace and see how uh, the students have graduated from faith schools and are indeed working in every single walk of life. We're not suggesting that they graduate from here and go to universities or go to the workplace where, where they should be limited in their approach. On the contrary, we try to give them the tools to succeed in the broader society. And, and in so doing, what we're trying to do is to show them that you can, you can protect your religion and your practice and you can continue to practice them in the way that your parents have, have, have done for tradition for generations. Um, but at the same time, it is absolutely right and, and, and incumbent on every person to be able to play an active role in the wider society. And part and parcel of that is befriending other people and, 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 and being willing to mix and, and, and to work with one another. So on, on the contrary, I would say that in every walk of life, whether it's looking at the Houses of Parliament, whether it's looking in, 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 in the districts of finance or medicine, or whether it's looking in the general workplace, you will see people who have graduated from faith schools who, who, who are working with one another and, and, and are actually leading society. Rabbi Meyer there.
The British Humanist Association has been particularly vocal about its opposition towards religion in schools. I spoke to Richie Thompson, campaigns officer there, who believes that England's school system is far from usual in its makeup and stated that a future of selection on the basis of faith was far from inevitable. We certainly think that it's important uh, that schools uh, teach young people about uh, different religions and about non-religious worldviews as well, uh, because these are uh, beliefs that many people deeply hold and that are very important to both their identities as individuals, um, to uh, understanding um, that the way that the world looks today and indeed certain communities within it. Um, so there certainly should be a place for that kind of education yeah. and for learning about those different beliefs um, and for enabling young people to assess them as well and make their own decisions about uh, what they think about some of the bigger questions. Uh, but we don't think that it's the place of the state with its funds to um, support uh, particular religions um, in promulgating themselves to younger generations. Um, we think that individuals should have the right to make up their own mind about these questions. Um, we think that uh, the state-funded system uh, might prop up certain religions more than others and mm. uh, that's not really fair or appropriate. So, I mean, what would you like to see then? How would you like to see things change? Well, ideally, I think we, we want two things to change. Um, first of all is to get rid of a law requiring collective worship um, in every single state-funded school, whether it's religious or not. Um, you know, that law is not uh, in, enforced and is widely ignored, but at the same time, many, many schools that are not faith schools do have uh, Christian worship, and that leads to all sorts of problems that we get contacted about regularly. It leads to all sorts of groups coming into schools and proselytizing, as well as schools doing inappropriate things themselves mm. um, and I think the second thing we would like to see is uh, the end to the state funding of faith schools um, because we think that they're um, harmful not just in the ways I set out about um, about uh, how they in terms of what they teach but also because they segregate pupils and staff um, on the basis of religion and um, you can get schools where everybody is of one religion and that can also have knock-on impacts in terms of ethnic segregation and socioeconomic segregation and I think that's really problematic in fact uh, on admissions in particular it's almost a unique problem um, to the UK there are very few um, highly developed countries that allow state schools to do that. How likely is that though I mean you know church schools particularly I'm talking the Anglican church they're so part of the school system now the, the, to try and disentangle it from the school system it, it is nigh on impossible is it not I don't think we're going to get rid of this system anytime soon, as, as you've just said, mm -hmm. but I do think that there are some particularly egregious bits of it that um, hopefully uh, the state will start to roll back on. Um, so, for example, if you look at the discrimination in admissions, the only, I, I, I referred to this earlier, but the only other countries um, that allow this that are members of the OECD are um, the Republic of Ireland, mm -hmm. Israel and Estonia. So we're very, very unusual in, in having a um, some almost 20% of school places uh, subject to religious selection and um, there have been some changes on that recently. The Church of England is encouraging its schools to some extent to move away from that. Um, 
and equally there's this so-called 50% rule which requires free schools to be at least half open um, in terms of uh, who they admit if they're religious free schools. Um, so those are encouraging signs and hopefully we can push that further and over time um, that will become uh, less of a problem. Equally I think that the law on collective worship, um, not just a faith schools problem, but I think that that is so obviously out of step with society um, that I just can't see um, that lasting forever. I, do, I don't think uh, it's going to be too long before a Secretary of State actually decides uh, that it's time to deal with that and mm. sort it out. Um, and um, maybe, you know, then we'll see what, what the situation is then and, and, and where um, the priorities lie. But yeah. I think that, you know, these things aren't static. They are changing over time. And um, at the moment, we've had two governments that have been very pro-faith school and increased the number and diversity of faith schools. But I don't think that that's inevitable. My final guest is Dr. Muhammad Abdulbari, an educationalist and former Secretary General of the Muslim Council of Britain. He believes that there's already a separation between both religion and schools. Well, religion and schools are already separated because schools are run professionally and for educational purpose. Mm -hmm. And when, say, Church of England schools or Christian, Muslim or other denominational schools come, they follow the national curriculum. Only difference is they try to maintain some religious ethos and uh, spirit, not the dogma of religion. So in a way, in a way, I, I think the question is, uh, the question doesn't arise that religion and schools are same. They are not same, in fact. That's interesting. You're, you're suggesting that, because I mean, some schools have collective worship. Um, you know, some schools, be they Anglican, Christian, or even uh, uh, with Muslim schools, you know that they are that some of the teachers there are of from the, the uh, uh, relevant clergies. I mean, it's, it's quite explicit in some schools. Uh, well, that's a fraction of time uh, that they probably spend on these messes. Mm -hmm. That they don't give any theological training or education of uh, religion to students. Yeah. And uh, the religious denominational schools. There, as far as I know, nearly one third of British schools. And uh, yes, if, if the whole society decides, the whole country decides that we give up uh, hundreds of years of uh, baggage or history, mm -hmm. then that's a, that needs a good discussion. But uh, uh, as far as I know, uh, there are only fraction, fraction of time is given uh, for the teachings of religion, not the theology or uh, in Islamic cases, not the fiqh, fiqh yeah. of uh, religion. The both the humanists and the secularists would, would argue that the, the existence of um, faith schools leads to greater segregation in society, that you know, if kids are allowed to just mingle with one group, one set of faith, faiths, um, up until the age of 18 or whatever, then therefore you'll never really have uh, a terrific integration between the, uh, the different uh, faiths. What would be your um, uh, well, I agree with with them on the diversity. It, schools, uh, as the society, have to be diverse. And I think uh, schools that I personally know, I was a teacher in Town Hamlets, uh, mm -hmm. one of the Church of England schools. Uh, they, uh, they, were, they had uh, Muslims, Christians, all sorts of students. Yeah. And uh, being a Muslim majority area, uh, schools accommodated some of the aspects of Islamic faith in their uh, uh, morning worship. On, we don't call it a worship. There's some lectures from some right. scholars. 
So uh, to me, school well, schools are diverse, religious or non-religious, because the society is diverse. So how else we c- can we can we diversify this? Well, I guess by I mean, some school, uh, schools, uh, particularly faith, faith schools, Church of England schools, Catholic schools, and Muslim schools are allowed to select purely on the basis of faith. Well, there was a good discussion some years ago when I was the Secretary General of the Muslim Council of Britain, mm-hmm. whether schools, uh, whether faith communities are ready to take around uh, 25% of their peoples from different faiths. Mm-hmm. We agreed to that. And uh, to me, it's not an issue at all. Uh, but uh, for me, religion is not a dogma, and religious teachings for centuries or millennia have given a direction and moral compass to human human beings. Mm-hmm. And I'm not denying that uh, non-religious uh, people or non-religious ideologies don't give that. Mm-hmm. But uh, if we want to dismantle everything, then I think we should have a big, big debate yes. in, the, in the whole of the country. Absolutely. What are the uh, other issues um, that is often held against uh, faith schools? Is what is actually taught in in these schools, particularly when it comes to, to science and and sex yeah. education and evolution versus creationism? Do you see that as a, a as much of a problem? Well, uh, evolution is taught in this science lesson. Religious religion is not taught in the science lesson. They are. In in my opinion, I wrote a couple of articles on that as well. One is, one faith is, is something to do with our heart, mm. and uh, <clears throat> science is something to do with our with our mind. Mm. But uh, they are complementary to me. We have our head and heart. Uh, so to me, religion or faith or uh, feelings or emotion, they are as important as our thought process. Dr. Bari just then who denied there was any conflict between a person's faith and their education, regardless of them being in a religious school. And on that well-balanced note, it seems like a good place to draw this episode to a close. If you've enjoyed this podcast, please check out our previous shows on the TS website and listen out for more programmes in the coming weeks. That just leaves me to say thank you to all my guests and a big thank you to tuning in. That's it from me. Thanks and goodbye. Goodbye.